Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. Joining us in the classroom today is J.P. Nervin, and Coach Nervin uh, has dedicated his life to basketball. He's got a book out called Calling Up, and he uh, is now bettering other people on their culture journey with his mentorship program. So, Coach Nervin, really appreciate your time all the way from Ireland this morning. Uh, looking forward to having you in the classroom. Yeah, it's good to be here with you, John, and uh, appreciate to connect with your your listeners and. Uh, you've got some great stuff out there too with your book as well. So, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm out of place now. I should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. It's easy. Don't worry about. It. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like if the two of us can do it, then Weaver, you can do it too. You can even make it on wide receiver play, and it'd be all right. There we go. Exactly. We go. I know my English teacher would tell you that if that kid wrote a book, then anybody could have write a book, right? <laughs> yeah, my my high school English teacher would be um, floored because. It took all I had not to fail. <laughs> like I was one of those people. She's like, you need to come and read the Canterbury Tales during your lunch break with me. I was like, why? She goes, do you want to graduate? I was like, yes, ma'am. Because we need to come read the Canterbury Tales with me at lunch. I'm like, deal. Ooh, man. Wasn't expecting Chaucer this morning, but that's all right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Uh, well, Coach Durbin, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your culture journey and maybe what pushed you to Ireland. I know you've lived in the United States for most of your life, too. And uh, just talk a little bit about your basketball background and, you know, what brings you on this journey of culture? Yeah, well, you know, I'll give kind of a little bit of abbreviated version so we can kind of jump more into the conversation around culture. But, um, you know, I, I played basketball, like you said. It's, it was my sport. Played at the University of South Carolina for a year as a walk-on. Um, in a weird kind of twist in my life story, I ended up uh, doing a study abroad program and then moving to Limerick, Ireland full time to uh, finish my degree. And uh, I was initially studying law over there. I was you know, pursuing a career path that I would make good money in, you know, that type of deal. But uh, one day I got pulled into uh, a, a gym. I just remember walking in just, man, I missed the game of basketball. I walked in and said, hey, does anybody need a basketball coach? out there that you know of lady gave me a number to call called called up the club of a local boys basketball club in Limerick and uh, two weeks later I was coaching under 16s and under 14 boys basketball a month later I was coaching second league women's um, over my five-year span there I coached uh, club level uh, ran a, was working with a club there um, up to under 20s for for five years I uh, did four years of running a schools program there uh, coach semi-professional men in the top league of Ireland, coach women's college basketball team there to uh, division one championship in Ireland there. So I had a lot of experience coaching a lot of teams at the same time, just sports over there. You could coach more than one because um, the seasons kind of spread out over like nine months and you practice typically like two, three times a week. And uh, they are in a desperate need for coaches. I was by no means a good coach. I thought it was pretty good, but uh, I was inexperienced, but, my strengths were that I was passionate and I was really excited to be out there, got stuff done. I was always taking initiative and that was in desperate need, especially in Limerick, you know, basketball been struggling there for some time. And 
Um, so, you know, I, I was a pretty powerful five years, uh, met my wife over there, but she's actually from Pennsylvania and she, um, pulled me back to the States where I started coaching in Tennessee, did five years there. And, um, then I, you know, at the high school level and ran a bit of an academy there. And then I moved up to Pennsylvania, uh, for, moving for her job, uh, where I coached a little bit there, but that's when I started uh, about a little over three and a half years ago, my business thrive on challenge, which, um, that kind of came from around the middle of my time there down in Tennessee, I was coaching and I had, I had a lot of, a lot of success up to that stage as a coach, especially in Ireland, um, as far as wins, losses, you know, lots of championships and, um, and made an impact. And I had good relationships with my players. I would have considered when I left Ireland that especially with my, my most dominant team that I had really good relationships with those kids. Many of those kids came to my wedding eventually um, which obviously is every coach's dream, that type of connection and relationship. And it was really hard to leave those kids. That was one of the hardest things about leaving Ireland. Uh, but kind of about middle of my way through my time in Tennessee, I, my culture uh, really stunk, honestly. Uh, I was struggling as a coach. And um, some of the things that I struggle with, some of my weaknesses, or uh, as I, I call them now, potential limiters, are that I uh, am very short-tempered and uh, I'm impulsive. And I'm impatient. And that really started to cause, you know, I'm not a great listener, honestly, by, by naturally. And so those really started to hurt some of my relationships with my players and really kind of developing that team culture that I wanted. And that those things came more to the surface, the greater the pressure that I experienced. And just being on the you know, high school spotlight, like many of your, light, um, your listeners know, you know, there's, there's added pressure. And in Ireland, there was not nearly the same amount of pressure. And so really struggled and kind of hit rock bottom as a coach. And in that rock bottom, I came across a guy named Jamie Gilbert in his book, Burn Your Goals, and uh, entered into a mentorship relationship with him. And uh, he really helped me to take significant strides, not just in my team's culture, but more importantly, in the way that I was leading, the way that I was communicating and trying to connect with my players. And I started operating from a place, not of fear, but of offering a place that I love, and I started reading and working on my own leadership. Kind of midway through my season of working with Jamie, I, I wrote a blog called uh, My Guide to a Losing Season. I made this commitment to culture, to doing things the right way. And in that, I said, I'm 100% all in on this. And I actually had the most losing season that year <laughs> ever. And it, it was a lot of external factors. Um, some of the earlier parts of that losing season uh, were due to some of my commitment to culture for sure. But there was also some external factors. Our football team had a great year. I uh, didn't get to get most of my kids till a little bit later in the season. But, um, you know, I wrote that in January at a kind of a low point from a standpoint of results, but also at a high point from character transformation and my relationships with my players. And I, I, I wrote about that and I shared that at a really vulnerable time. And lo and behold, we actually had a kind of a cool turnaround in the season and uh, made a big run and at the end and you know all was all was well in that category but um that first article resonated with coaches i think coaches were craving story uh a story that they could relate to or someone to share not just you know the, the championship coach but someone in a low point because i think so many of us are in those 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 low points throughout our career and not necessarily determined by record i know that i've got coaches that i work with that and support that have really poor records and they're really enjoying very fulfilled. And I've got coaches that are you know, nearly undefeated and they really, really struggle. So 
but just, you know, I think people were looking for that uh, authenticity and luckily I was able to connect and that that first article led to a series of articles that led to conversations that led to me essentially starting Drive On Challenge, which which is what I do now uh, full-time working with coaches and not just in basketball, but I work with coaches um, in football, soccer, um, tennis, volleyball, boxing, hockey, uh, and I do that at the collegiate level and the high school level. Cool. That's great. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your mentorship that you offer. So it sounds like Jamie Gilbert was a real big mentor in your life, helped you get things figured out, put together, started in the right direction. Talk about what you want to do with your Thrive On Challenge. Yeah, so what we're, what we, you know, it's, it's, it's very tailored to the coach. You know, I'd say a lot of coaches reach out because they want to sometimes – they're unhappy with their team's culture. And some people are have also come to a certain awareness that the way that they're leading is not working. And I had kind of, re, re, kind of reached that point. For some time, I had said, you know, I want to be more intentional. I, I, I got into coaching, like I think every coach listening to this podcast, we want to make a positive difference in kids' lives. There's no doubt about that, right? Let's just go ahead and assume that everyone listening to your podcast wants to make a positive difference. That's why I got into coaching in the first place. But we lose ourselves along that way, right? Pressure builds and uh, behaviors come out, uh, we're unintentional. We inherit certain behaviors as a coach because of the way we were coached. And uh, we're not bad coaches. I wasn't a bad coach. Uh, I wasn't a bad person, but I just didn't know a better way. And what Jamie showed me was a couple of things. He showed me first off a better way to lead. He uh, got me engaged and learning about that, not just telling me all the answers, but reading and discovering these ways uh, that are not just based off the experience of successful coaches, but they're based in science and research. That's really, really important. The second thing he did is he helped me gain a level of awareness around where I was falling short as a leader and as a coach and helped me to grow in those areas. Um, I kind of always think that when it comes to mentorship, there's really kind of three things that you, we try to help coaches and it, it takes a while to move through those three, three steps. The first thing is sometimes we just need affirmation of what we're doing is the right way. Like sometimes we're doing things the right way. We just need people to say, you've got a lot of doubters out there and a lot of, you know, external noise. You've got to keep doing it. Like keep, keep going. You know, that's the, one of the first most important things. The second thing is to answer questions to, you know, that to uh, things that we know we don't know. Like I know certain things that I don't know. I need better ways of doing them. And that's a really powerful thing. And so I think I, I initially stepped into that relationship uh, with, with Jamie. He affirmed certain things that I was doing. And then also he helped me with things that I didn't know, but I knew that I didn't know, right? The other big piece is bringing awareness to the things that we don't know we don't know. Our blind spots as a coach, our blind spots in our culture. And um, so that's that's the powerful thing is, is, you know, working with coaches, you know, we do weekly calls. I've got developed a lot of systems. We can talk about that a little later. We develop a lot of, you know, systems that are, you know, strategic ways to deliver through processes to build your culture in, in various ways. And um, they're based in not just experience, but in, in, in science of intrinsic motivation, the science of, of, of human connection and emotional intelligence. So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of like the three aspects of the mentorship. Yeah, I'm thinking as you're going through that, I, as an accountability partner type deal of your coaching journey, you know, and, and JT and I bang this off each other all the time that, you know, what he does in his program and there's that accountability piece that, hey, he's doing this, 
well, I need to be doing that as well. And then like we say all the time, mirror test, like what's our mirror test and who are we as a coach and what are we doing for kids and are we doing it for the right reason? And I love that you said that we're not bad coaches. Just sometimes we, we get confused on what, what we really want out of, out of the kids that we coach, you know? So great, great points. Yeah. And, you know, there's two th- two things I'd, I'd say about that. One is, you know, come back to the bad coaches thing. Like the ways that I, I work with coaches, the things that I suggest, you know, the strategies and systems, they're not the best way of doing things. They're just the best way that I currently know, right? They're just a better way than I used to do it five years ago. If I'm still working with coaches on the same things in the exact same way in a year's time, I haven't grown. What's been powerful is I've worked with over 35 different coaches through mentorship, division one level uh, for basketball and football, all the way down to a freshman high school basketball coach. Okay. Um, So there is a wide range of coaches. I'm able to see how these systems work, which is really helps me to improve at a much rapid, more rapid rate than if I was just doing my own program actually. And culture is very dynamic. It's different. It's everyone's situation is different. People want to implement that system. I'm like, yeah, but, you're at a school of 200 kids, or this coach is over a school of 500 kids, and that 500, oh wait, they're at a school of 3,000. Oh wait, that school of 3,000 has no tradition, or they have a tradition. Like all these things impact how you can deliver uh, and implement a culture. Uh, the other thing you talk about is accountability, and that's a really good thing. And I think we need a certain level of accountability. And I think that's why one of the, the most powerful things that I did was, there was something that happened in my in town of Chattanooga, Tennessee, around this time that I was kind of struggling as a coach where uh, there was an incident at a local high school for the basketball team that I'm not going to go into because it's just so graphic and horrifying. Uh, for those that want to look it up, they can, they, I'm sure they can look at Chattanooga back in like 2016, this incident. But it rocks the, the, our, our city. It was made national news, uh, this hazing incident that escalated. And I was rocked by that. I wrote an article about how we need to be more intentional about um, developing character in sports. I put that out, not thinking that it would, you know, just sent it into the newspaper, honestly, just because um, I was so affected by those events. And then people, it really kind of blew up and all these people really started to pay attention. Well, that put the spotlight on me. Like I had to start being more intentional about developing character. And that was just a level of accountability there by just being public and saying that, that I knew I had to start living by what I was, what I was claiming to believe. But I really think in mentorship, more so than accountability, it's about advocacy. It's about support. Because, and it's the same with in coaching. Our players want to be good players. They want to be good people. They want to be good men or, you know, uh, good good women, right? What we have to do is help them to believe they're capable of that and then to walk and support them with that. And we need less of, of, of I think so much we say accountability. I think it's me calling out a coach like, well, you said you were going to do that. You didn't do that. You know, it's more like, hey, okay, you didn't do what you said you wanted to do or you didn't meet the standards of what you, you know, set. Or you didn't follow through on those commitments. What were the obstacles? What's holding you back? And then helping them to remove those obstacles in their life. That's what I really think is powerful about mentorship when I'm working with coaches. But also it's my, my one of my messages for coaches when they're working with their players is a little less of the accountability. Yes, we need that. But we also need that support before we come in there and hold them accountable. Yeah, that's actually what I've appreciated about my relationship with you, Coach Nurbin, in, in our conversations that we've had um is the power of the outside voice so sometimes there's things that i'm doing in my program that are small simple changes that i just miss or overlook uh but that outside voice and the accountability then 
reminds me of, no, you can make small changes that are going to lead to a bigger difference, but we lose sight of that on the day-to-day operation. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I you know, there's so there's such a powerful piece. I mean, I obviously have these, you know, these weekly calls with coaches, uh, but just them being able to reach out when something comes up, something happens. I think that's just making sure we have someone and it's, I'm not saying this isn't like an advertisement for, for my for marketing for me. I'm just saying, find someone, find someone in your life that you can bounce off. That's a little less emotionally invested in you. You know, I think, so, you know, that's what something, you know, especially the higher up I've, I've learned this, the higher you go up on the coaching you know, ladder, the higher level, the more lonely coaches are. And I, I've learned that they don't have a sounding board. A head coach struggles to share with all their assistants because sometimes their problems or challenges are with their assistants. Um, sometimes we, we struggle to share with our spouse because our spouse isn't a coach. They don't, they're not in that, potentially in that situation. And, um, and also people are going to filter what they say because they have this relationship they don't want to hurt. They don't want us to feel let down or to let us down, you know? And so that's, there is such value in having someone that can speak truthfully and transparently and lovingly into your, into your life. I want to talk a little bit about your book calling up. And one of the biggest takeaways that I got from it, uh, really appreciate the story. There's a narrative, the guys using mountains as metaphors, uh, as he figures out his own coaching journey and meets people along the way. Uh, there's bumps and obstacles in his way. So it's a hero's journey. It's not perfect. Um, but one of the things that I appreciated about it was the theme calling up. Talk a little bit, a bit about that, where it came from and how that fits into your mentorship philosophy as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'll tell you a story of a, a coach that I was work, working with recently here um, who uh, had actually you know, read my book, um, been, been listening to my podcast and stuff. And I recently only connected with him in the last, last few months. And he did something that I think was great. He took the first steps uh, a little over a year ago to start turning his culture around. He came to a realization that my culture stinks. Okay. Um, but one of the, when he went to make that change in his culture, he wasn't very transparent around it, right? He wasn't vulnerable. He wasn't with his players, with the parents. Uh, he was very transactional as coaching, um, and, but he started to move away from that. And when he did that, people stood back and like, well, what's he doing? Does he not care anymore? Like, why is he not yelling, screaming all the time at his players? And why is he not throwing chairs or whatever it is, you know, like all that type of stuff in practice. And um, he missed out on an opportunity, an opportunity that I know he's going to take moving forward, which is to first model that willingness to learn and grow and to change. And calling up, when it comes to the difference between calling somebody up and calling someone out, it means that we first have to go, go, go first. I think when we're calling people out, we're putting ourselves up here and them down there. And we're, you know, we're looking down at them, but I always like in a cross, I try to bring across in the image of the book is, you know, someone that is already climbing, climbing they're, they're on their journey. They may be a little bit further along that path, but they're pulling someone along the way. And so what does that look like? Well, and it is a stance of, uh, from my st- uh, standpoint, and when it comes in as a coach, you want to turn your culture around and you want to start building your culture is like being transparent with your players about what you need to grow at. You know, one of the most powerful things you, you can do as a coach, I've seen this coach I had two years ago. He, he gave an article, I think it was a Stephen Covey article around seven qualities of a great leader. He gave, gave it out to all his captains on his team and he, they read it together in this, this captain's meeting. Um, and, uh, 
you know, they were thinking, all right, he's going to probably ask us, you know, what are we going to work on here or there? He just turns and goes, what area do I struggle with the most? And they were like, well, you know, like it was, took them, took them back, you know? And he's like, no, seriously, tell me. And with a bit of hesitation, because they had a bit of a culture of fear uh, that he had established, uh, they said, oh, you know, patience, coach. Yeah, 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 you know, it's like, all right. And he really empowered his players to give him feedback when they felt like he wasn't being really patient throughout the year. He also, and they also were giving him feedback when they're like, coach, we thought you were going to lose it because last year you would have lost it. But you kept it together and just, you know, like that really meant a lot to the guys, you know. And that's enabled him and put him in a position and a relationship with those young men where he can now speak into their life because he's shown them that he's not perfect and it's okay to not be perfect. He, he's not, he's taking the defenses down. And his relationship with those young men was transformed because he was vulnerable and authentic. He took ownership. Right? He took ownership of the team culture. He wasn't about blaming, blaming them. He modeled that willingness to, to, to learn and grow. And because of that, he could challenge them in a much, much bigger way that year than the past, right? Because it was, we're growing, we're growing as people, not you're growing. And so calling up um, really comes down to the place from, from which we, which we do speak into people's lives. Lives. Well, here, here's my question to you. What's the biggest obstacle you see is for coaches to recognize that I need to do something different? You know, because we have this, I've been doing it this way, which is a whole English language worst phrase. I've always done it this way, it's worse, and we'll keep doing it. What's the biggest obstacle you see is for coaches that for them to recognize that? Like, what's their, their wall, their boundary? What's their defense when they don't want to make the change or, or they're struggling to make the change? I'm going to share two things with you because I think they're kind of built off, off, off each other. The first is our ego. I, I'm just going to say that from my own standpoint. I, I came in that I'm going to be more intentional about building character. What did that look like? That meant me bringing my kids into a classroom and giving them lectures, hiring or having one of my assistants be my leadership coach. And it's all about them growing as leaders. I was sitting in the back of one of those lessons, you know, five, six years ago, sitting in the back of the classroom, uh, listening to my leadership coach give a leadership lesson on profanity and you know emotional control within games and it became awkward because my coach made the the comment well this is gonna be a little uncomfortable because i know you know coach nurbin there in the back there has got probably the worst mouth out of any of us here you know and i was like whoa you know that was a big moment for me because i was literally sitting underneath a pyramid of success from john wood and john wood's pyramid of success i'm sure coaches have, have read it and looked at it there's something john wood used to say about the pyramid of success used to say handouts and pyramids of success are meaningless if those behaviors are not emulated within the leader themselves. And I was not emulating these lessons that we were imparting to my guys. Um, and I thought that it's not me that needs to change, it's these kids that need to change. They're entitled, right? They don't take ownership. They don't take responsibility. You know what? Those things are true. They need to grow. We all need to grow. But it's my ego that was keeping, you know, keeping me uh, from taking that first step uh, because I thought the problem was with everybody else. And uh, I was trying to change other people. We can't change other people. We can only invite them to change and we invite them to change by first focusing on changing ourselves. So we have to leave our, our ego at the door. That's, that's a really, uh, really, really important component of that. After that, um, after we've taken that step of you know, saying, all right, uh, then we have to really uh, become intentional and we have, to, we have to find ways to invest in being really, really intentional in everything we do. And we need to come back to the question, is the way that I'm doing things right now, is that the best way of doing things? 
And the answer is always no. It's just the best that we currently know, right? We're doing things with, 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 with the information that we have. We're doing the best the way that we can. We can always do things better. And so are we having that growth mindset on improving things? And I think so often coaches are afraid of, like we said earlier, oh, I'm admitting that I'm a bad coach if I, if I say that the way that I'm currently not doing things is, is not the best way or that it's harmful or it's hurt, hurting kids. Uh, so many ways that I coach hurt kids. They hurt kids. I, I hurt a lot of kids on my, on my path. I helped a lot of kids. I helped. A lot. I got through a lot of kids. I had great relationships. I had players coming to my wedding. I had when I left Ireland. I had a room full of twenty plus boys that were crying. Right. I used that as justification. Right. I had great relationships. That's yes. I was getting through them. But how many kids was I hurting along the way? But I was always saying it's, it's their problem. They're not coachable. You know. And and that's that was really uh, selling myself short of my potential as a coach because I think the great, the better coach we are the more we can reach the kids that others can't. That's what I think great coaching comes down to, reaching the kids that others can't uh, because we're so intentional and, and we, we work really, really hard to reach those kids that are falling through the cracks. So I think you said a couple powerful things there. First of all, you talk about ego. And uh, I know from my own coaching story that that played a part. Um, it's present in my book as well in the, in the main character as you follow the story. Um, also, I like what Kurt Hines has to say about ego, where it's when you edge God out. Uh, the second piece that I really appreciate you saying there, Coach Nurbin, the second piece that you talk about is the better way of doing things. And for those coaches that maybe aren't in a position right now with that self-awareness or those reflective tools to look at where they are and make some of the necessary changes, what advice would you give for somebody right now who's maybe got an idea on how to improve their team rolling around in the back of their head, but hasn't quite pulled the trigger yet? Yeah, that's great. I, I think, um, you know, we're there to coach our players because we have greater knowledge. Um, we are in a position of leadership that we've been appointed there. And we're seeing there in practice, we're giving them feedback, we're having one-on-ones with them. But we're coaching them up. Who's doing that for us? You know, who's doing that for us? And I think it come, you know, I don't want to come just back to what we talked about earlier, but that's just such an important piece. And for me, it was Jamie Gilbert. And then it was actually going into uh, other people and ask, starting to ask for their feedback. Um, it was the mentors and the books that I read, you know, that, you know, was dissecting every, you know, book that I read of John Wooden but I did it from a different place. I'd read every book that John Wooden had ever written before. And I had no, took all these notes. And then 10 years later, I came back and read them. I said, my gosh, I didn't listen to anything the man said. If I had, I'd have been all right, you know? And I was going back and saying, oh, how's this apply to me actually? How do, how do I grow? So you can find mentors in books. You Maybe you find an outside mentor or actually just going to your players, going to your players, asking them three powerful things. You can ask them these three powerful questions. You can put it on Google. If you feel like your culture really stinks, I encourage you to make it anonymous, <laughs> you know, because players are not going to be that um, vulnerable. Uh, but I would ask them, you know, what do you enjoy about this team? What don't you enjoy about this team? And if you were the head coach, what's one thing you would do differently in the program? And then listen and listen. You know, one of the biggest misconceptions, uh, you probably, your listeners have heard of Kaizen, you know, the old philosophy. I know it's up in the Celtics. It's on the, their, their weight room there. Kaizen is the Toyota philosophy around marginal gains and 1% improvements. One of the biggest misunderstandings around Kaizen is that I think people think that was Toyota leaders, their corporate guys, the managers sitting in an office and saying, this is one way we can improve today. 
and making those decisions. Kaizen's philosophy is rooted in that the people, the frontline workers, they know the changes that need to be made. When Toyota had that uh, philosophy and they were making incredible cars and GM was you know, going down the drain, uh, what Kaizen would do was they would ask the employees, the frontline people, what do you see that we need to do differently? And they could hit the red button, stop you know, production, make the change. And they took on 100% of their employees' suggestions. That was their philosophy. And they said, if someone makes a bad suggestion, then somebody else will make a suggestion to fix that bad one. And that was kind of their approach. Now, maybe we're not taking on 100% of our players' suggestions, but there's another great story, if you haven't read it before, of David or Mike, or Michael Abershoff's book, It's Your Ship. It's a great one of this Navy ship captain's true story. Uh, about in 2000, he took over USS Benfold, which was the worst ship in the entire US Navy. And within one year, just a little over a year, he made it the number one performing ship in the U.S. Navy. He took its retention from 20% to 100%. He did it in a year. What was the first thing he did? He, he went in, he asked over 400 sailors, one-on-one conversations, one-on-one conversations. What do you enjoy? What don't you enjoy? If you were the captain of the ship, what's one thing you would change? So if you can't find a mentor out there, honestly, the changes in your culture, your players have probably a lot of good solutions for you to make it more of an enjoyable experience and helping it become more of an intrinsically motivated culture uh, because you're tapping into that first thing, which is autonomy. You're giving them the autonomy to take ownership of that program themselves. Yeah, I think it's gonna be hard for some coaches, uh, if you really think about it, to, to give up that ownership piece of, wait a second, I'm making myself vulnerable and now I gotta listen to, say you're a high school coach, 16, 17, 18 year old kids telling me what needs to be better. Well, that that's exactly what it is. If we're there for them and it's, you know, we'd say it all the time with our team. Hey, this team's on rent. After this year, there'll be another like team 19, then there'll be team 20, then there'll be team 21. So each team is different. So what's your identity with this within this team? So giving them ownership and giving them that piece. And I love that you said, hey, what's one thing you would change if you were the head coach or the captain? Um, what would you change? And I think that that also opens up the eyes to your players that you're you're giving them a voice. Because so many times, head coaches or even assistant coaches, they want to be the sole voice. Like, I'm, I've reached this goal. I'm the head coach. I'm the assistant coach. I'm your position group coach. Are you going to listen to me? That didn't always work yeah, out. That, yeah. That, I'd love to build off that. There's with a little bit of coming back to my story around Toyota. Uh, and GM was kind of in the tank at the time. They were you know, going bankrupt. And one of the things that people thought was like, ah, you know what? Kaizen, Kaizen, whatever, Kaizen, Shmaizen, it's, it's, it's all about their systems or, you know, their discipline, they respect authority, um, you know, and, and their culture. And then GM was going through all these unions at the time and people striking. Well, someone, and they did something out in California where Toyota came in and took over a GM factory and they implemented their same leadership model and culture model of taking on employee suggestions. And instantly the place was turned around and they were using American workers. You know, so it, it, uh, people want to deny that, that it will, will work. I'm, I'm telling you, it's powerful. Do you? Here's one of the questions for your listeners: Is do you want a culture where you have to extrinsically motivate them? You have to use the carrots and the sticks consistently to get them to do the things that you want them to do, or do you want a culture that's intrinsically motivated? Right? And there's a science behind this: carrots and sticks will only work for so long, and then they're going to fall fall apart. Right? They're effective sometimes in the short term. Sometimes fear is a great tool to get people to do what we want them to do right in that moment. Uh, maybe we can create a culture of fear, but eventually that will fall short. And I don't think a lot of coaches are comfortable with that. 
Carrots, same thing. You know, it's, it's going to fall short after time. Uh, but that intrinsic motivated, intrinsically motivated culture that's is built on autonomy, mastery, and purpose, a shared purpose, something greater than themselves. Mastery, they see their growth. They see their improvement. And then autonomy, they have the freedom to make choices. They feel like it's their own. So the systems that we use with, with coaches are really to drive those three things. It all comes back to that. We want this to be an intrinsically motivated culture where people enjoy each other, love each other, care for each other, um, not where they're doing something because they're afraid of some consequence. They're not running hard because they're going to get an extra, you know, you know, uh, popsicle at the end of practice, whatever it be, you know? Yeah, and I, I think there's two important pieces to what you just said that all funnel back to the Kaizen mentality. Uh, the first piece is that there has to be trust. And so if that trust has to be anonymous at first in order to make it authentic or meaningful, I, I think that's where a lot of coaches have to start. And, uh, you know, Google gives us all these power, uh, all the power today to give anonymous surveys. So there's greater power today to make it anonymous than there ever has been. You know, otherwise, it's here's a piece of paper, write something down, but will coach really know my handwriting, those kind of things. Um, the second piece then is that once you get the feedback, you have to implement the feedback. How many times have we collected feedback and done nothing with it? And from a player standpoint, um, how many times, how many meetings have we all sat in and our administration asks our opinion and then doesn't follow through on any of it at all? And so then that breeds a culture of, well, there's distrust there because why did it, why, why are they going to listen to me? They're not going to do anything about it anyway. So why am I even doing this? And I think those two pieces that you're talking about have to work together. Yeah, you know, one of the stories of Abershoff is that as soon as people made a suggestion that he felt he could implement, he got on the microphone and over the entire ship said, whatever, someone down in the engine room said this and we are going to implement it. Like he was just giving constant praise and, and acknowledging those things. And and uh, there's a great episode of the U.S. Office for those people that, that watch a little bit. I don't watch too much TV, but that's my show. Um, and the, the, the boss, Michael Scott, has a suggestion box, which has... It hasn't, he hasn't even opened it in so long. It's got gum in it. You know, there's things that are just, there's trash in, in the box. Like, and he opens it up and, um, and he starts reading through these suggestions in a, in a, in a team meeting or kind of a company meeting. And he's being really, really defensive, right? Because there's some of these suggestions are criticisms of the way he did things. And he gets really, really angry and he kind of walks out, walks out of the room. And I think that's so often I get, when I first do this with coaches that haven't done it before, they are our, our initial is to get defensive and it's going to happen. There's no way that we're not going to get defensive. And I say that to coaches, you're going to do this feedback form. There's things you're not going to want to hear that you're going to hear. And it's, I think what is mature, what comes down to maturity and shows character is that we can put our ego aside and say, all right, th there's two, there's two lenses that you take it through. The first is what they're saying is true and a good suggestion. And I need to implement it. Right. That's one thing. The other thing is, what they're saying is true around how they feel or think. And that is still just as important that I'm listening to that, right? Why do they think that way? Why do they feel that way? It's my responsibility as a leader to connect with my, with my people, to connect with my players, to help them to understand. And that is valuable feedback. Honestly, it's, it's, it's just as valuable, if not more important, that we know about their opinions as we do the ones that are the ones that we potentially want to go away and implement. So I was, I was talking to, I think, two of our coaches, and, and one of them's coming back uh, from uh, another school. He's coming back after being away for three years. And uh, he was one of those that would, wouldn't implement the stuff. Like, you, you give him feedback, 
and he just is like, all right, and he'll file away in like way back in the brain, like it's in the garbage. And one thing I started thinking about is I'm big on relationships. I'm really big with relationships with the kids that I coach, uh, whether it's my receivers or, or track athletes, whatever. And people are like, how are, how are you have how do you have such a good connection with them? And I said, it's taken time. It's taken time to build that trust into that that relationship piece. So maybe tell our listeners a little bit that there's not really a time stamp on the trust. It's just you have to be real with yourself. Like you have to open up and say, you know what? I'm going to be transparent, just not really translucent. You know, not that you know everything, but to where you get those kids to buy into you as a coach first, not not just buying into the program or the system or whatever whatever sport you play, but maybe buying into to the coach and playing for the coach uh, to where uh, Coach Tory says this all the time, where you surrender the outcome. I'm going to play and do what's best for this coach. I'm going to do and play what's best for for me that's going to help this team to help this coach because he's invested in me so much. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I mean, I think one of the the things that we have to surrender is that, that illusion of control. Mm-hmm. You know, we think as coaches we have some sort of control of our players. We, we don't, right? They have to make their choices. Um, and we try to have some control over them. We have to kind of surrender that in that relationship. And that's why we talk about you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes I made as a coach early on was, you know, I came into uh, Tennessee and I had built this great culture and I went in there thinking that I could coach the same way I did because I had these, you know, uh, before, but I didn't have the relationships, you know, like I, I could coach guys a little bit harder at the end and I got away with some of that stuff. It probably wasn't the best way to coach, uh, but I could get away with it because I had these relationships that built them up over time. Um, so it's coming into asking questions. And I'm not just talking about the, those three questions earlier, but it's just so often I do this as a coach and I see so many coaches I work with. Well, I sat them down and I, you know, we had a long talk. I mean, one of my first questions I'll ask that coach is, well, who was talking? You know, who was talking? Well, it's, it's usually the coach lecturing, right? We need to use questions to engage, open questions to get people to become self-aware and self-reflect, sometimes on their behaviors, sometimes their level of commitment, but also questions just on them as a person. Um, connecting with that, that's going to work. Some kids are just going to be open book. Oh, you know, so excited and craving that connection. But some kids based upon their circumstances, their, their environment, uh, their, the way they've been up, uh, their upbringing, um, they're going to be really resistant. In fact, there's statistics showing that 40% of, uh, of young people have endured some sort of traumatic experience in their life. Right. So there's a, there's going to be, uh, a literally a neurological stress response, uh, to, uh, the defense mechanism to kind of really not open up and share for whatever reason. And for that, one of the most powerful ways to start to get them to open up is to go first, to share, to open up. I think sometimes, you know, I, I'm a big believer when it's, when it's practice time, when it's game time, my coach hat is on. But man, when I was able to take my coach hat off and just be JP, um, I was able to really start to build and, and, and connect with kids and just let myself, you know, my, my, my personality, that personality that my friends, that doesn't mean I was, you know, completely translucent. Like I like that word there, but I was just more of myself that kids could kind of connect with. And that's, so it's not all this vulnerable, like, Oh, I'm a bad leader. You know, like, I'm so sorry. That type of stuff that you connect with kids. It's just sometimes just being you, mm-hmm. just being you, bringing your family around, you know, being, being the fun dad or fun mom that you are around your players. Like that stuff is just, uh, 
just helps them to connect with you and not just to coach you, but the person you. Yeah, and I think about yeah. what you said about choices real quick. And the choices, think about what, how much control do coaches have over their kids right now? None. None. There's no workouts. There's, there's, uh, there's no, I, you can't go and like be in the weight room with your team. You can't be on the track with your team. So the spring workouts and all that. So now it's even more of what, and I had a conversation with this about a coach. Like if you're, for me, if you're not already zooming and having communication with your team two weeks ago, you might be behind and you're missing that, that relationship piece or that trust piece. And maybe your culture isn't where it needs to be because you're scrambling. Like, how do I get in touch with my kids? I'm used to seeing them and doing this and doing that. And like you said, you're lecturing to them rather than letting them have a voice. So I think more important now, the kids' choices are predicated off of what have you built so far in a time that we're in right now with, with COVID-19. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, I think what paralyzes a lot of coaches to maybe even in this, this issue now is like, well, what if I do a Zoom call with my team? Or what if I have a meeting? I remember talking to you, John, actually, about this a while back. You started doing some leadership um readings in the morning or something like that oh what if not everybody shows up it's fine if one person shows up you're pouring into one person you know so if, if you're at this time you know it's not a, you don't don't expect everyone to show up you know every time you run something that's unrealistic and you'll just leave yourself really disappointed but uh, go ahead and take action put stuff into play you know start building those relationships now yeah it's really hard because you know and maybe it's hard from the sense of justifying it to other people you know if i host a zoom meeting and last night we did this with our team actually we invited all of our seniors uh for the fall of next year into this meeting and we've met as a coaching staff over zoom a few times the last couple weeks but last night was the first time we started with our our next year's seniors in this meeting and i didn't say very much it was just really refreshing to see 20 different guys faces see their backgrounds what they're doing let them joke around with each other a little bit because that's the piece that's been missing. And my spirits were instantly lifted uh, in doing that. Even though I wasn't leading the meeting, I wasn't really contributing to the meeting. I was just present at the meeting. And I think so many times we try to lead by going first and, and barking at people and then trying to justify our actions. So like my wife, for example, you know, she doesn't always understand the hours that we spend in off the field with our kids that are essential for building great relationships. And so if I say, oh, I held this meeting or whatever, and two kids came, a lot of times people see that as a waste when really you're pouring into those two kids, but the numbers aren't there to maybe justify the hours. And so our culture, our American culture has taught us that maybe that's a waste of time. Well, we all know that it isn't. Yeah, and I think you also kind of bring up too in just your meeting there, which I really, which I really liked, um, which is that you feel like you didn't need to be constantly the speaker or leading it. There's a lot of stereotypes around coaches, around what, we, what great coaching is, uh, because what we see on TV, what we see on the sideline, what has worked in the past. And, um, I had a coach that there's a piece of my book. I had heard a couple people doing this occasionally. Um, and I thought I was clever and I had tried it out a few times and it worked really well. Um, whereas if the pregame kind of speech pregame pep talk, give it to the players, 
was one coach out in San Diego, read my book, and he had every player was rotated around. He didn't give a single pregame talk. I mean, I mean, he went through the game plan, but then it was like there was a message from one of the players in the end. One of the most powerful things he did this year was giving them the voice, you know, allowing them to speak into each other and share their stories. I mean, uh, I know that uh, the Buffalo Bills coach um, did that a couple of years ago where he would just have, I think they went through every guy on the roster and they would just have one of the players come in on a team meeting once a week and just share about their life, their life story, what happened, you know, how they got to where they are in the NFL. And, you know, there'd be powerful, powerful speeches and connections. And, you know, we want to put on a motivational video. We want to give a, write up a powerful pep talk or, you know, speech, or we want to bring in some great speaker like a John Gordon or something like that. And honestly, uh, there's so many great stories that they can connect with uh, right right where they are with each other that they don't even know you know that when you can do that when you can get guys to open up be vulnerable and share the connections will will be way more powerful because they'll they will they'll be rooted in that vulnerability and truth around who they really are as as people and what they've gone through yeah you just give me an idea with our summer speaking series we've done for two years where the coaches when we rotate through and we have different topics we talk about each day of the week during the summer. Well, who's saying that? I'm going to challenge our coaching, our coaches at 7:30 when we have our Zoom meeting this morning, to let our kids do the summer speaking series, to where we let them lay out and tell stories, lay out the summer, and we give five to 15 minute, you know, motivational talks. We've done it as coaches, and it's you know, it's a, almost like the check the box thing. Our head coach is like, hey, we did the summer speaking series. It's real good for our culture, and that's what we're pouring into these kids. It's like, well, we pour into them every day. Now that I hear you say that, like we pour into them every day. They hear our voice all the time, whether it's in a meeting, on the field, whatever. So I'm going to challenge them, and I thank you for that, uh, for for giving them ownership of just a small piece of the summer speaking series. It's not even a leadership academy. It's five to 15 minutes before we even go on the field for summer workouts. We have a conversation. Maybe it's about a core value. Maybe it's about an event that's happened uh something relevant to today's world, but now let them have ownership of it and then let them tell a little bit of maybe how that core value impacted their life somewhere down the road. Yeah, and I, I mean, some of the prompts you can give your guys, um, if you're doing the seniors, you can say, hey, what's one thing, or what would, if you could deliver a message to your freshman self, what would you say? You know, just a prompt like that. Um, those type of prompts can help them to, 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 to really share um, and, and open up and be vulnerable. Uh, we, we try to do a lot of that on a consistent weekly basis. Um, so we run a system with a lot of our teams called the captain's council, which there's a one to three or one to four ratio of captains to players. And each guy is in charge of three to four guys in their, in their unit. And they're in charge of supporting, serving and connecting with them. And we do, they have to have a, three commitments around how they'll do that. You know, it might be carrying the water, it might be cleaning up the locker room, sweeping the sheds, that type of stuff to serve. Um, they do supporting thing. They might have a group chat, a little web chat. For our college teams, they get together and have lunch or breakfast as a unit once um, once every few weeks. When it comes to supporting, it's more individualized. That captain needs to know his two or three guys, what they need, you know, what is the, what, are their, what do they struggle with? What are their obstacles to them being at their best? And, they have to, and the coaches work with them to help them identify that. But we, one of the things we do that some coaches are like, ah, oh, man, that's that, you know, you know, they just kind of like, yeah, it's a little cheesy or something like that. But we get them in there before every practice and after every practice, 
They may do 60 seconds, they may do three minutes, but they're gonna have a conversation. And sometimes those conversations are about their standards or performance. They're much more sports specific. So for instance, they may make a commitment for the other, for the day. You know, in basketball, we're all gonna, we're all gonna get on the floor for a loose ball. And uh, that's their commitment. At the end of practice, they'll review it. Who, you know, do we all get on the floor for loose ball? No, no, one person did. Okay, we're all gonna do 20 pushups, right? Something like that that they came up with themselves. So you can do like a commitment. They might do a before action review. Hey, what would make practice today awesome? You know, like what's one way we can do that? You know, bring energy even at the, at the water breaks, right? So they could do something like that. It's also relationship-based. The coach might give them prompts, things to connect. There might be a theme, you know, what's the best part of the school year so far? What are you most excited about for the season? Um, you know, we had one of the most powerful ones and it wasn't a, wasn't a, I'll tell you this, it wasn't a, one of those one to two, three minute ones, but it was a little bit longer because the coach used the prompt that we set up was, uh, what's the hardest thing about being your teammate? And the coaches had to start off by sharing what's the hardest thing about being coached by you from their opinion. And it was powerful. I mean, there was, I mean, it was incredible. And people say this is, ah, you know, it's soft and we don't have time for that. My wife works for Google. And they do this once a week where they get together, her team of around five to six people, and they connect. Last week's theme was travel. Talk about some great places you've been or one of your worst trips in life. They just, just to you know, sit around, drink coffee and connect, right? And that's a powerful culture there. Um, so if adults are doing this at the corporate level, I think we can get high school kids to kind of buy into it. Yeah, it's really good, uh, Coach Nurbin. Uh, really appreciate those strategies that you've shared right there. Just quick, easy ones. Hopefully, some of our listeners will be able to implement them. I know Coach Weaver is going to implement them with uh, his summer speaking series and beyond. I'm working to implement some of your strategies with our team and our leadership um, and the guys that I serve. Really like the power of the small unit. I think sometimes we think a unit and football is a little bit bigger monster than basketball just because your team's a lot bigger and there's some other other pieces to go with that but uh, to break it down to three to four people that's really reasonable for one person to, to be able to lead two or three others in addition to themselves uh, sometimes we try to make it too big maybe we'll get in groups of 10 or whatever or I think about my position group which is seven strong last year uh, that's a little bit bigger and then there's more room for error there's less room for connection so the smaller the group if you can make subgroups maybe with inside your position you could have a lot more success um, and I think that's really powerful. Well, John, actually, you know, the captain's council is probably most effective with football in my experience with our teams. What we actually try to do is we try to not do it within their position groups. We try to go across because so much time they're already spending in film. The receivers are in there, uh, the linemen, you know. So we actually try to mix it up. We try to mix it up by class and we try to mix it up by – in a football team, it might be one guy in charge of four or three – but, um, and then you also, you typically have a bigger coaching staff. And so typically the head coach, like say the basketball team would meet with just the captains, you know, because there might be four, you know, for instance, but you might incorporate more of the football coaching staff to help each of those guys, because they need to be meeting, you need to meet weekly with your captain's council. Uh, you need to ask them a few questions around how things are going, what, what don't I know about, who's struggling in your group, um, and help them to troubleshoot how they can help each player. So you talk about, you know, improving player-led program. Uh, you know, if, if a guy's struggling to show up on time, if a guy's struggling with their effort, instead of you as a coach always having to be the one that intervenes, you can go to that captain. Hey, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's on you right now, right? So you give them ownership. That's really developing leadership because they actually have to lead. So that's just one thing I, I think is really, really important is that uh, in that, 
is you're breaking it across your position groups and also you're giving them real opportunities and letting them intervene. I was, I was talking with a, a guy who had spent some time with the Spurs, uh, San Antonio Spurs, Greg Popovich there. And Greg Popovich has a strategy of sometimes when he's especially really frustrated with the player, instead of going directly to that player, he'd pull like Tony Parker over and say, come here, Tony. You see that over there? That effort's horrible. You better go deal with it before I have to. And then Tony would go, you know, so that developing player leadership, you know, uh, it's a powerful, powerful system that we use. Yeah, and, you know, Pop is such a really interesting leader to study because his players love him. And he's not the nicest guy on the face of the earth, but, boy, those players will run through a brick wall, and they know how much he cares. So I think that's a really good example. Well, one of the things about Pop, too, though, is he's evolved. If you, if you, you know, people that have talked to him and in and, and, and interviews that he's done, he says the way he did things ago 20 years ago would never work. And they were honestly the best, not the best way. I think sometimes we say, well, you know, uh, you can't coach kids the way you used to. Well, yeah, but also not, not just because times have changed, but just because we know there's a better way, right? We study science, of the brain, emotional intelligence, uh, you know, and all the experience that we have in there, we know there's a better way. So it's not just kids have changed. Um, not just society and culture has changed, but, you know, we know more than we used to, you know, we wouldn't want doctors operating on patients, with the same procedures and methods that they did 30 years ago, right? And say, well, you know, it worked back then, you know, well, we had a, you know, back then you may have had an 80%, maybe a 90, like we want better, you know, there's better ways of doing things. Yeah. That's great. Well, Coach Nerman, really appreciate your time. Uh, really appreciate your insights on calling up and the Thrive On Challenge and all the mentorship things that you've got going on with your business and in who you are as a person. And our last question here in the classroom is kind of our one of our favorites, and that's what is your caring trademark? What distinguishes you as a leader different from somebody else? Yeah, I would say it is the ability to, um, that I always, I'm always striving for, is that ability to connect, build those relationships while holding really, really high standards. You know, I think a lot of times people, uh, they might, you know, receive listeners might be like, yeah, it's good, but it's kind of soft. No, really intentional leadership. When I'm, when I'm being a really tough coach, tough coaching for me is being in control of my emotions. It's acting with intentionality, right? It's holding players to really high standards without having to yell, scream, or demean them. That's what I would say for me as a leader is when I'm at my best, when I'm operating that, that space is I'm connecting, I'm connecting, I'm loving those kids. I'm operating from a place of love, but I'm still able to maintain the highest standards of effort, attitude, and, uh, and gratitude. Great. Yeah. That's really good. There's a whole lot there. And uh, I just try to soak all that in. I, am. Um, I don't know about you, JT, but I got better today. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Coach Nurbin. We really appreciate your time. Hey, it was awesome to be on here with uh, some great football coaches out there. You're obviously doing things the right way, and I appreciate that.